All right, everyone, go ahead and grab a seat. We're uh, at five. I'm going to grab a seat. We're going to dive into uh, the word this morning, into our time of teaching. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll move in. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for um, this new family in the church that we get to belong to. Thank you for um, the new ways you're refreshing us, changing us, challenging us. Um, you long for us, you long for us to know that, um, regardless of how bad last year was, that we were fully loved that whole time because of Jesus, that our, our pain, our suffering, our wounds, they are real and you care about them, but they're not the truest thing about us. And simultaneously, our, our shortcomings, our sins, our mistakes, our failures, um, times when we were not the people you designed us to be. Those don't define us either because of the work of Jesus. And so um, what was hard last year doesn't define us, but also there's hope for, for a new reality in this new year. And so for us, as we look back and we feel regret or we look forward and we feel anxiety, Lord, would you help us to be a present people being transformed in your presence in 2023? Would we not be a people who look over our shoulder in regret, but would we also not be a people who look forward with anxiety but would we know that we stand in a place called grace? We have the help we need. We have the father we need. Even as the men and women sit in these seats or hold babies in the back or wh whatever's happening, or a dog shaking its bells, <laughs> not a single person in this room has anything to prove to anyone if they're living in reality, the reality that they're loved completely. None of us in this room have to provide for ourselves as if we're orphans. None of us has to make a future happen apart from you, Lord. We are secure and stable if we're living in reality. And Lord, would you help us live in the reality of your kingdom with a good king in 2023? It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you are new, it's a good time to be new. It's a new year. Um, I am one of the pastors here at Restored. My name is Andy, and uh, we are in a series going through Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7 uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, a section of Scripture uh, historically called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Mount series called About That Life, and it's a series where we're learning how to live the life of a follower of Jesus. That many people claim to follow Jesus, but in reality, they go to church sometimes, but they haven't actually tried to put into practice the words, the teachings of Jesus as recorded in the New Testament. So we're trying to do that, and it's been challenging. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read verses just 1 through 4 today. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the heart of what Jesus is getting at in the beginning of chapter 6 is the motivation for why we do the spiritual things we do. It's giving here. Uh, next week will be prayer, then fasting. 
And uh, he's not so much informing them that they should be giving or fasting or praying. They already would have been doing that because of the context they were in. Um, it, what he's doing here is more encouraging a heart posture in them as they do those things, similar to what Royce was doing when he was up here with the offering talk. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but, but when Jesus says, when you give, that's a very different, I, that's a very, very different setup for his teaching than if you give. Does that make sense? Like when you give, communicate something different than in, if you give. When, when carries with it an assumption or an expectation that this is what you're going to be doing. Okay. Um, for example, I've never told my kids, if you clean your room today, it'll go away. You know, I'm like, hey, when you wait, right? If carries with it an optional or circumstantial context for the instruction that's about to be given. Now, I've traveled a lot of my work uh, doing apostolic work and, and encouraging church planners and missionaries all around the world. And um, I have heard them give instructions about what to do at the beginning of the flight. You guys might be familiar with these, right? Um, in the event of an emergency, in the event of an emergency evacuation, right, um, I have heard those instructions so many times. And here's what you need to know about those instructions. No one listens to them. No one, right? Um, so much so that they're trying to make them fun and entertaining, um, right? They got celebrities in there. They're doing voiceovers. They've got comedy. They got many storylines in the videos, right? They treat the entire plane like children when these videos come on, right? It's potentially life-saving information. It needs to be spruced up. It needs to be fun, right? So they make these videos fun. Be otherwise, no one would listen to them, you know? I mean, there's times where I've thought, man, we, are they going to tell us to sit crisscross applesauce in a second? It's like, you got to be entertained because no one actually thinks the information applies to them. We know the stats. We know the data. No one actually thinks a plane's going to have an emergency landing. I've taken hundreds of flights. I still know how to, I don't know where that life vest is. <laughs> now, can you imagine how different your listening posture would be if instead of saying, in the event of a crash, they were to say, later on in this flight when we likely will crash, or when we crash, you'd be running for the exits, you'd be calling people for help, and if you couldn't get off the plane in time before takeoff, you would be meticulously reading every word of those evacuation instructions. You'd be practicing, you'd be pre-blowing up your life vest. If you assume it's actually going to happen, you take the instruction in differently. And many followers of Jesus read this text in Matthew 6 about giving and praying and fasting, almost like I watch a Delta safety video. This is for people who give and fast. I'm not really that kind of person. I'm in America, right? I'm a consumer. I'm not really a contributor. Um, I eat what I want when I want. I don't fast unless it's intermittently. There's a health benefit involved. Didn't track my macros enough. Can I get caught? You know, I fast. Um, but family, Jesus doesn't say if you give or if you pray or if you fast. Again, he says when you give, when you pray when you fast. He's unpacking spiritual disciplines that aren't disciplines of convenience or consumption. They're disciplines of contribution and self-sacrifice. And so Jesus' working assumption was that those he was preaching to would already have been practicing sacrificial generosity as people already who are more or less observing the Torah, the law of Moses. That's not an assumption we can make today. Again, don't forget the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' commentary on the Old Testament law. He's clarifying and deepening what it means to be God's people, right? So he, he said, you know, he's moved us from uh, don't murder to don't even hold a grudge. He's moved us from don't commit adultery to don't lust or objectify people at all. 
He's moved us from love your neighbor to love your enemies. He's moved us from don't lie when you make a vow before God to don't lie to anyone. Be radically honest. And so today he's going to move us from external obedience for external rewards to external obedience for an internal, internal, eternal satisfaction. He says, do good things because you love God, not because you want the applause of man. And I got to say, man, the applause of man feels good. Have you ever had a moment where, like, people were literally clapping for you? You won an award, or you're walking up, you're being honored. So it feels good. And it's not bad to enjoy being honored, but when, we, when, we, when we're motivated by that is when we get into a lot of trouble. Because men and women are fickle. What we applause changes. What's applauded in one space might get you booed in another space. And so th- there is a slavery that comes with living for the approval of other people. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. That'll wear you out. Now, we live in the age of social media and smartphones where everyone has a video camera on them at all times. Uh, it's led to a phenomenon called virtue signaling. Uh, The Oxford Dictionary defines virtue signaling this way. It's the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or social conscience or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. I'll read that one more time. Virtue signaling is the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or social conscience or the moral correctness of one's positions on a particular issue. And this is where someone who doesn't actually care about an issue posts something on social media, kind of backing something, because everyone's doing it, essentially. Uh, It happens in progressive and conservative circles. This is for everybody. Men and women do it. Black people do it. White people do it. Um, You go on and on and on, right? So, So it's like when corporations take stands for things like injustice in America while maintaining relationships with factories that use slave labor in Asia. Uh, Or when uh, a company greenwashes, right? That's when you pretend your company is more environmentally friendly than it really is. Uh, It's when men who have pressured multiple women to get abortions pretend to be pro-life to help their political careers. It's putting, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) It's putting a uh, Black Lives Matter sign in your window when you haven't for one moment stood in solidarity with the black community before or after you put that sign up. And you don't intend to ever. You just don't want people to think you're racist. It's also when we get sucked into uh, to posting judgmental outrage, uh, you know, condemning the words or actions of another person. And so we can get sucked into this too. Uh, the British magazine The Spectator describes what's, what's ridiculous about virtue signaling. It says this. It says, it's noticeable how often virtue signaling consists of saying you hate things. This idea of hatred is camouflage. The emphasis on hate distracts from the fact that what you really are saying is how good you are. If you were frank and said, I care about the environment way more than most people do, your vanity and self-aggrandizement would be embarrassing. And so um, this idea of virtue signaling is when we pretend to be better than we really are, when we pretend to care about something we don't care about, or we're doing something that's good just to be seen. And Jesus is saying, don't be that person. Your heart for um, justice and the poor and the oppressed and the unborn or whoever it is that God's calling you to care for, that should come from inside of you. It's not something you're peer pressured into. 
fight injustice, fight for the poor and oppressed, live lives of generosity and piety, but don't do it for likes, hearts, or retweets. You see, back in Jesus' day, people would do their own version of virtue signaling. In Matthew 6, 2, Jesus says, So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So there were actually wealthy religious leaders and wealthy people connected to the Pharisees that would hire a band, New Orleans style, to follow them around. Not, you know, they don't have uh, cocktails, they don't have Sazeracs, but, but they're walking around with bags of money, right? And they're moving and grooving to, right, the, the alms box. And literally, when they would throw it in, the, the band would hit a crescendo, like, bah, bah, bah! like, bang, generous. Look at this, generous, generous, generous. We did it again. Um, and it was like, everyone, look at this good thing I'm doing. And Jesus is like, do it, but don't do it like that. Don't do it for the credit or the attention. Otherwise, you're actually giving the gift to yourself. I've had people, over the years, I probably have had 50 people who come to tell me, and they go, man, I want to give to someone in the church or to a thing, or I want to know if the church do this. And, th- and they'll often say, hey, you can tell them if I gave. That's up to you. I've done that too, by the way. But Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to have that. This is truly about loving Jesus. You don't have to get that recognition. Now, there's an appropriate space to just walk up to someone and say, I want to bless you and love you because I want you to know you matter to me. But, man, what motivates us in these moments when we do good and beautiful things? Now, back to the beginning of our sermon. Jesus is telling us how to give, but he assumes that we will be a giving people. Again, he doesn't say if you give, but when you give. Now, don't forget, Jesus' working assumption was that those he was preaching to would have already been practicing sacrificial generosity as people who were more or less observing the Torah, the law of Moses. But most of us are not from a culture that is Torah observant. <laughs> Last time we checked. Again, a few months ago when Grant, Grant taught on lust, he said, before we can talk about what lust is, we have to talk about what God's vision of sexuality is. Uh, before we can talk about what adultery or divorce is, we have to talk about what God's vision of marriage and singleness are. Again, even if in Jesus' day there was disagreements about who could get divorced and when, there was still a shared presupposition around what marriage was. Even if there was a disagreement on, like, what's lustful or how far is too far, whatever, there was an agreement on what sexuality was, who designed it, what it was for. And so because Jesus' original hearers would have had the same working assumptions or presuppositions about the topic Jesus was talking about, he could just say, here's how you should handle this area. And similar to what granted a few weeks ago, today what I want to do is just look at this a concept of giving throughout the scriptures. Again, he's assuming we're doing something that we may not really understand. So again, before we can talk about how to give with right motives, we need to talk about what giving is in general in the scriptures. Um, Because a marker of God's people, as long as he's been revealing himself to people, is that his people would be a generous people. And this, by the way, this is a sermon on giving money to the church, but it's not just that. It's talking about a lifestyle of generosity. It's talking about a culture of generosity. Does that make sense? Um, and, And so, do we live this way? Do we live as, as givers or takers? And all throughout human history, the way that God's people revealed themselves was, again, by being generous. And the patterns of generosity causes people continue today. And by the way, God is a generous God. We see in the book of Ephesians, we see in John chapter 3, we see over and over and over again, it says that God gave us the gift of his son. And then in John's gospel, Jesus actually says, 
No one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. Not some punk who gets my life taken. I choose to lay my life down. I give it away. And so God is not calling us to do something that he has not done for ourselves. And you guys are hyped right now. You're like, dude, we're talking giving. First sermon of the year. I love this. But again, when we give, we reflect who he is to the world around us. And so what I want to look at is, is, is all throughout scripture, what does it look like to be a generous people? And, um, and so a biblical theology of giving has kind of three components. There's percentage giving, there's giving to the poor, and there's giving to projects, kingdom projects. There's percentage, poor, and projects. The first one's percentage giving. Or proportional giving. It's giving a consistent amount at a certain rate. In the beginning, God creates the world. He puts humanity right in the middle of it, and he calls us to steward it. And so before Jesus lays down his life on the cross, he actually gives us the whole world in creation as a generous, generous God. Um, we see throughout the scriptures, uh, Cain and Abel, they offer sacrifices to God. They offer what they have. Again, important principle. Um, we give what we have, not what we wish we had or don't have. This isn't extorting poor people to give more money than they can afford. It's what do you actually have? You bring that to the table. And we see them giving a tenth of what they have. Later on in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, God calls Abraham. And he says this, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in, all, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was the mission of Israel in the Old Testament. Today it's the mission of the church. We're blessed to be a blessing to others. We have received that we might give. So much of our work as the church and so much of our work as disciples of Jesus should be, I have received something freely, so I give it away. I have been forgiven, so I forgive. I've experienced God being patient with me, so I am patient with you. I've been radically loved when I didn't deserve it, so I radically love you when you don't deserve it. And I have been given a radically generous gift, and so I'm the kind of person who gives radically generous gifts without strings attached, without what I get out of it or the props I get. Uh, later on in Abraham's story, uh, his nephew Lot's kidnapped. It's a really dramatic scene. By the way, when you read the beginning of Genesis, it's wild. Like, I think people are like, Bible reading is boring. It is wild, right? This is like Taken in the Middle East. It's like Taken meets 300, Genesis 14. Like, it's a page turner, right? Leviticus is coming, but Genesis is real, all right? And, uh, and, and so he goes to, to rescue his, his son, his nephew Lot, and, and he gets him. And after the battle, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, a lot of people think this is a... Um, I forget what the term is here. Theophany. Uh, this is Jesus in the Old Testament, potentially. We don't know for sure, but either way, there is this priest king. And it says in Genesis 14, 20, that after the battle, in response, he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He gives a tithe. So that's kind of where, where percentage giving comes from, tithing comes from. Uh, again, we see this all throughout Genesis. And then you move into the Torah, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and tithing is something that God's people are called to in a bunch of different ways. Now, it's not exactly the same way as um, it is today. Uh, they actually weren't called to give 10% of their income away. They were called to give 23% of their income away. So 20% annually, and then about 3%, 3.33 every year, because he'd give away 10% every three years to the poor. 
So there are three offerings, okay, three tithes. Um, the first one was the tithe for the temple or the priest. This one would be the most, um, the, the one that you could overlay with New Testament giving pretty clearly. Um, it's funding spiritual leaders and the work that they're doing in the temple. So it's paying the priest's salary, it's providing for them, and it's providing um, the temple. So there's 10% for that. This is very similar to tithing to your local church today. The second one is the tithe of the feasts, or a.k.a. the Old Testament party funds. The OTPF, you know what I'm saying? So Deuteronomy 14, um, and again, as an Enneagram 7, this is my favorite tithe, okay? Everyone's got a favorite tithe. This is my favorite tithe. The tithe this tithe was administered by each individual. It didn't go through the temple or like through the church or whatever. The second tithe was dedicated to the, to the enjoyment and good of mankind. You, your friends, people you want to bless. This is self-care. This is uh, blessing. This is birthday gifts. Verse 22 says, each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, then exchange it for silver. Take the silver in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the silver on anything you want. It's amazing. And he gets into it. Cattle, sheep, goats. Yahweh seems not to be a vegan. Um, it's tough. It's tough to hear. It's tough to read. Also, wine, beer, or anything you desire. Got a beer fund commanded by God. You are to feast there. You're, you are to what? Feast there. This isn't top ramen. This isn't like the cheapest food of all time, kind of penny pinchers in the room. Like this is enjoy good food that costs some serious cheddar. It's 10% of your income. Do not neglect the Levite within your city gate since he has no portion or inheritance among you. So it's kind of like throwing a fancy party. Or taking someone to a fancy restaurant to celebrate them. Um, enjoying good food or a good trip with friends. Again, they could just spend this money on whatever they desired. Oxen, sheep, wine, whatever they felt like eating and drinking. And they would eat and drink together before God to his glory. So one of the reasons, by the way, we have parties as a church. Like we do this. We're commanded to celebrate as his people. And I love this about God. He hardwires into the law so that people would spend some money on themselves and refresh themselves. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but some of you don't value yourselves enough to enjoy anything. Some of you, you're so hard on yourself, and you think, I can't enjoy a good thing. If I have any resource in my hand, any money in my hand, any whatever it is, I can't just do something because I enjoy it. You can almost be like Judas when the woman pours the alabaster on Jesus' feet. He goes, this could have been given to the poor. Yeah, and he says, the poor will always be among you. Again, we're called to give to the poor, but we're also called to enjoy the life we've been given. There's a tension there, but it's real. Okay? Now, again, for some of you, you're like, I live in America. Everything goes to me, right? Like, that's not it either. But there is such a thing as enjoying what God has given you. And you don't have to feel guilty about that. Does that make sense? Like, he really is a good father. When I give my kids gifts, like Christmas, I give them gifts. I want them to enjoy them, right? Now, again, if you're a parent, they don't enjoy them long enough, right? 
the buildup for what it's going to be and then what it is, it just never quite hits. I'm talking like towards the end of the 25th. I don't know how I feel about this video game. You're like, well, you better feel real good about it for like six months. But I want them to enjoy what I've given them. And I just want to say again to you, some of you, you don't value yourself enough to invest in yourself. I know we live in a self-care culture. Can get to, you can get out of control in some spaces. But for some of you, you're, you're way far from that extreme. You don't allow yourself to rest, to enjoy, to recover, to eat good food with people you love. Does that make sense? We're called to sacrificially serve, but we're also called to gratefully enjoy. And that's true with our money. That's true with our time. That's true with our emotions. And then last but not least, there's the tithe for the poor. Um, this one wasn't um, given every year. This was given every three years, but it was 10% on that third year. So it's like a 3.33. Uh, uh, the math people might be able to sort this out. But so keep going to Deuteronomy 14. It says, at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your products for that year and store it within your city gates. Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates may come, eat, and be satisfied. And the Lord your God will bless you in all the work your hands do. So again, according to Deuteronomy 14 here, this tithe was given um, every third year. Uh, it's for Levites. This was the tribe of the priests. Again, they lived off the generosity of the people. Um, again, they did spiritual work. That was what they were into, uh, and they helped support that. Um, there's, foreign, there's foreign nationals, think refugees. Um, there's orphans. There's widows. So God cares about the poor. He calls them to do this consistently. Now, what I want you to catch is, is with all of this stuff embedded into the law, which is supposed to be um, like the culture of God's people. It's not just do's and don'ts. It's like um, this would, the culture of the people would have been a generous one. We also know the year of Jubilee um, is something that should have happened every 49 years where people who were in debt had their debts wiped clean and everyone had enough. So again, tithing towards God, blessing yourself and your friends and your neighbors and giving to the poor, it's a generous lifestyle. God wants his people to be generous. And so throughout scripture, we see this pattern of the men and women of God called to give intentional regular percentages, again, to, to, to God, to the temple, to, to themselves and others they love, and to the poor. Um, Jackie and I uh, have a goal to increase our giving every year. Um, and it's because we were discipled early on to give 10%. And we've done that for most of our Christian lives. There were some seasons where things have come up where we weren't able to do that, but that was something we strived for and have done often, the majority of our Christian life. Either way, we, we've moved towards consistent sacrificial giving. Now, I understand there's reasons some people cannot do 10% uh, or called to do something different than a tithe in the New Covenant. But as a rule, we're not called to do, like, less sacrificial giving. Like, I'm not really into that as, as God's people when we're called to that. So, so there's percentage giving. Uh, number two, there's giving to the poor. And this is giving to the poor that isn't tied to percentage. This is just, again, as a lifestyle. Proverbs 19.17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the poor, and he will repay, for and, and he will repay him for his deed. Again, throughout Scripture, we're called to care for the poor. Um, something that you see in the book of Leviticus is God calls the farmers to, um, to leave some of their harvest on the ground so that refugees and the poor can glean from the crops and eat. So like you don't have to make as much profit as possible. Leave something out there for those who don't have enough for themselves. Acts chapter 4, verses 33 through 35, it says, And with great power... 
the apostles, this New Testament now, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Okay. Now, this wasn't communism. It wasn't, at, you know, you have to do this or else. This, and by the way, this wasn't you're not allowed to own anything. This was um, no one's allowed to go with nothing. So it's not that you're not allowed to have anything. It's no one should have nothing. There was no needy persons among them. They said, hey, are there any brothers and sisters here who don't have the basis? They don't have what they need to live. We're going to take care of them as a church. We're going to bless them. We're going to love them. This is why as a church we've spent tens of thousands of dollars over the last few years on things like rent assistance and counseling subsidies and supporting people between jobs and on and on it goes. This is the type of thing that we want to do. And I know, by the way, that's just official budget stuff. You guys and GCs do this all the time as well. So caring for those who are, are going through a tough time financially. It also involves looking outside of the church. There's the needy among them. Um, but again, as we're able to glean, I think we are supposed to take care of the people that God put in our life first. Um, but beyond that, there's other people to care for and give towards. And um, as much as this is a very wealthy city, there's a lot of need in this city. Um, and, and this year even, we want to talk a little bit more about that. There's a couple organizations locally we really want to bless and give towards and care for. In addition to that, there are uh, brothers and sisters all around the world who are experiencing poverty and food insecurity and um, economies that are really, really struggling and war-torn situations and government assistance that never quite gets to the people it's supposed to get to and it stays at the top. And as a church, we also want to, to, to invest in and bless those people as well. Which, which, we, which leads us to our last thing I want to chat around, and that's giving to kingdom projects. Giving to kingdom projects. Um, in the Old Testament, we see that they raise a ton of money um, and resources for things like the tabernacle. We see it with the temple. Uh, they want to build the temple. Uh, they want to build the walls. There's these moments where that happens. And in the New Testament, we see that the new temple is the church. It's the people of God. It's not the building the church is in. It's not this auditorium. It's us as God's people. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And um, when new temples are getting started, for example, new churches are getting planted. They are not self-sufficient. They don't have a local body of believers who can fund the work. So we often give to that early. This is where things like give love come in. Um, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 8, we see this, where God moves on people's hearts to, to bless. And by the way, Royce read from Second Corinthians 9 during the offering talk. This is backstory on that. This is even more. Uh, so 8 and 9 is both him giving instructions on how to bless a poor church. Um, he says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. So he's saying this Macedonian church, they didn't have hardly any money, and they were begging to give some. We're going to be doing a 
offering in February. We, it's Give Love 2023. We're doing it next month, February 12th. And we have two primary recipients. The first is our team in North Africa. A uh, couple, you guys know them, K&K. &K. Uh, they've been doing great work for a while. And uh, the work that they do also, it, it can't become quite self-sufficient, maybe ever. It can get better and better over time, but when you're doing work in a developing nation without a church culture, uh, it's very, very tough. But they've done a ton of great work for three years. Um, again, as a new project, they've been really getting it going. And it was almost four years ago now that we did the first Give Love, and they've lived off that. Um, they have since learned the language, become fluent. They've seen multiple people become Christians. They've seen house churches started, and they're just getting started, and they want to keep moving forward. However, in addition to that, um, Grant Michelle Clark used to lead a church called Harbor City in Durban, South Africa. Uh, that is a church um, that, again, the economy there has been ravaged. They were already a developing nation before COVID. COVID hits, the economy tanks, they don't get any of the government subsidy bailout stuff we were getting. What was that stuff? Uh, what was the, they're not doing PPP stuff. They're also not doing the checks we got. They weren't doing any stimuluses, okay? The stimulus was like, Good luck, right? And so it's, it's tough there. And, and here's, what's, here's what's wild, though, about Harbor City. Their giving is down 70%. There's also been political instability. They had a ton of violence, a tough political unrest. A lot of people are leaving the city, leaving the province, leaving the country. So in light of that, um, their church has shrunk to about half of what it was. Their giving's down 70%, okay? They're experiencing something like what the Jerusalem church was experiencing that Paul was raising money for in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. A church that's a poorer church, and he's asking churches that are wealthier to bless it. Okay? Now, here's what's wild. Now, the Macedonians, they, they weren't as poor as the church in Jerusalem, but they were also poor, but they wanted to get in on it. And I was telling Jamie, I was like, hey, man, we're going to do, um, the dollar goes really far in South Africa right now. I said, we're going to do 80% um, to our North Africa team, and we're going to do 20% to you guys. And, uh, and, and again, you know, we talked one time about what we pay in rent here for one month. And he said that would cover our rent and our gathering space for 16 months. So $20,000 literally covers their budget like for the year. Okay. And, and change. Um, and so I was saying, hey, we want to do that. And he said, hey, man, I know we're the poorer church. And I know part of this is for us, but we, we want to get in on this. We're going to take up an offering to forgive love. We want to invest in North Africa. It's going to be the mouse's share. It's not going to be big, but we want to do it. Um, and so just like Mastery said, we want to give, like the rand's not worth it, but we want to give it. We want to invest into it. And so, um, yeah, as we move in, um, our Give Love this year is kind of a blend of giving to the poor and giving to a project. Usually it's one or the other. Um, it's, it's helping replant a church that's experiencing poverty and difficulty and financial instability. So it's like a both and. It's like starting new gospel work, but also caring for poor brothers and sisters. Um, how many guys, do you guys, do, uh, has anyone been to South Africa? I don't know if you guys remember. Do you guys, do you guys remember Eugene Schlope? Remember that guy? Uh, yeah, love that guy. Um, like, for example, we can help cover his salary as an intern uh, for the year. There's like little things we can do that can go a long way quickly. And so um, we're excited to do that. Um, and so, so that's what um, Give Love this year looks like. Um, we're going to be blessing North and South Africa, and that's next month. And so we really want to ask you guys to start praying about this. And again, praying about a number that you're not trying to get props for. So I would challenge you to ask God what he's calling you to give, and, and, and whatever it is, to go for it. It might be less or more, whatever, than you were thinking initially. Um, again, our whole family of churches does this. We're trying to raise $100,000, which we've done a few times now. Um, but here's what I want to say is whatever calls you to give, sit with him and ask him what it is, and then do it for him. 
don't go, man, how are people going to receive this if they heard I did it, right? How, how generous would they think I am? How, many, how much props would I get? Again, we're not giving to be the saviors. We're giving to point people to the savior. And so that's the kind of giving Jesus is talking about. And so um, as we start this new year, absolutely, you know, really look at your finances this January, all that stuff, you know, your proportional giving to the local church. But what I really want you guys to pray through is give love this year, giving to the poor and, and giving to this project. Um, one of my favorite stories of someone giving uh, to a kingdom project was when we did give love for our North Africa team the very first times, whatever, three and a half years ago. And my daughter Olivia was, what's she now, seven? Eight? Is she eight? Man, uh, too many kids. <laughs> uh, so she was like, f- uh, she was four. Oh, yeah, she's seven. I always think, she, yeah, okay. Her birthday, she's going to be eight in like three months. Everyone relax. And she's tall. Like, she's tall, right? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about. But I remember we had Give Love. It was Give Love Sunday. And we're all praying about, you know, raising some money. And uh, we had the kids pray about what they were going to give to. And she wanted to give $10 as a four to five-year-old. Again, whatever age she is now. And I just remember um, she ran into church and she threw her purse at God. And she just said, here's your money. <laughs> With a smile on her face, psyched to do it. It wasn't like disgusted, like keep the change, you filthy animal. It was like, D- I got, I want to bless you. I have this thing for you. I have this gift for you. We prayed for you and now we're giving to you. And so Restore Church, we want to be a church like the church in Macedonia that excels in the grace of giving. Not because we have to, because we want to. And by the way, we will accept the results of giving. Whatever it is, it is what it is. But I want us to actually stand before God and ask him, hey, what do you want me to give? You are my father. You're going to reward me. This isn't about these people. It's about you. And I want to experience the joy of that. Last thing I'll say um, about this, um, there's a spiritual discipline I've come to love that um, pastors and spiritual directors kind of rep. And it's the spiritual discipline of secret service, right? Now get the, you know, president's bodyguards out of your head. This is you do stuff and you intentionally hide your identity, okay? Think like secret admirer but less creepy, okay? And I've had people do, I've literally given them the assignment hey, that, that, that really want the approval of people. I go, hey, I want you in your workplace to do something amazing for your coworkers and make it pretty much impossible for them to know it's you. And it's your secret with the father. Get them a gift card, get them coffee, get them donuts, whatever. Uh, Do a project for them they've they've needed to do for a while. Drop some money off in an envelope. Put it in a mailbox. (laughs) But do something. And again, I want to encourage us towards this to be the kind of people that don't need credit when we do good and beautiful things. Our culture is all about the credit. Celebrity culture is all about the credit. Look what I'm doing. Literally, I mean, half the foundations are in their name that we'd be people who give underneath the love of the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, as we move towards communion this morning and we consider the sacrificial, radical gift to us, I can't help but come back to the reality that you didn't tithe your blood. You gave all of it. I can't help but think about the project of the people of God, the new temple of the Holy Spirit that you gave yourself to establish that that project, that new kingdom, that new family, that new people. And I'm also just uniquely reminded of the fact that we are the poor. We are spiritually poor. We had nothing to offer you. 
And so much of what we had to offer you, we even offered as really, again, as, as a gift to ourselves to look spiritual, to feel important, to earn, to try to earn something from you, to diminish our need for you. And so, Lord, would you make us a people who are generous? We often pay for each other's coffees or meals. We make meals. We, um, and then that would even start to spread out. I pray that, that the community around us in this next year as we think through justice and mercy endeavors, as we continue to pray through those and land on those, God, that, that, that we'd even have a bunch of extra for even our community around us to glean from. Like that church, it's, it's a space of generosity. Would we be a people who reveal what we worship by what we give? And so, Lord, again, as we move towards communion, Jesus, I thank you that you, you give us the gift of going second in the area of generosity. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. You washed it white as snow. You paid it all. You gave it all. Would we give not to receive, but would we give because we have received everything we need? And it's all because of you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.